Hello and welcome to All of the Above, the podcast where we couldn't decide whether to focus on theology, sharing stories, discussing books, or contemplating philosophy of ministry, so we chose to do a little bit of All of the Above. My name is Aaron Markham. I'm here with my good friend Bryce Harrison. Hello. Bryce, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here as well. It's good to see you. All right, Bryce, your question uh, for today, I feel like you're going to have just a a great answer for this. I would love to hear your earliest memory in your entire life. So you're two, you're three, you're four, you maybe kind of remember it. It's vaguely in your mind. What is your earliest memory? Man, that's or a good one, one of your earliest memories. Um I think one of the one of the earliest that I can think back to is we man, I was probably I was probably like four, three, four years old, and we got a dog, and the idea of it sounded really great, um, except for that the dog kept pooping in my baseball field that was the backyard, and I did not want to clean it up, and mom wanted to get rid of the dog, but we were like, no, don't get rid of the dog, and then she's like, fine, you can keep the dog, but you got to go clean up its poop, Mm. and then we had to bathe it and Mm. brush it, and I remember just picking thick, matted, wet dog hair out of the dog brush and deciding I did not want a dog and I wanted my baseball field back. Mm, I understand. That makes a lot of sense. I had not a good experience with dogs growing up, so they're not my favorite. Um, My earliest memory is, um, is very vague in my mind. Um, I can, I can swear I was going down the middle of the slide, like exactly like I was supposed to do. But other people say I was climbing up the slide and then I fell off and then I broke my arm and I was like three years old and my dad was worried that I was never going to pitch for the Atlanta Braves after that. Um, That's so why mine is also baseball related. That is that is why you never pitched for the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, exactly. So solely I fell off. because of that slide incident. Exactly, exactly. I, I could have sworn I was going down the middle of the slide like you're supposed to do on a slide, but other people say differently. So I have vague memories of... of where it happened around that around that same time i remember playing baseball in the backyard with my brother and after his turn to bat was over and it was going to be my turn for him to pitch with me he said he had to run inside to go to the bathroom and he hid in the garage because he did not want to pitch to me Mm. and we my parents were calling him the whole neighborhood started looking for him a police car was driving up and down the street and he was hiding in the garage so that he would not have to play baseball with me. So mm. that happened around the same time. So those are two early memories. Pretty much all of them are baseball related. Yes. I love it. I love it. And now we enjoy adult league softball. Um, reliving our glory days. Reliving the glory days. You can catch the TCGS team on Monday nights at Fairview, sometimes on Tuesday nights. Um, sweet. Well, so that's that's talking about the, the past and kind of the beginning of our lives, we're going to have a different um, conversation today where we're going to talk about eschatology. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into that here in just a minute. But what I would love to do is is to take just a moment to, to pray. We're going to talk through um, just some weighty stuff, some things that's um, it's not easy to comprehend. It's, it's very much um, requires a level of humility. So let me, let me just pray for us as we, as we dive into to thinking about eschatology. Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity that we have um, to talk as brothers and to talk um, on a podcast about things that are that are weighty, things that are not necessarily easy and straightforward. Um, 
Lord, we are going to talk about things that really embody that your ways are far greater than our ways and that your thoughts are far beyond and far greater than our thoughts. Would you um, just allow us to have humility and uh, a level of graciousness and allow us to um, be focused on those things that are of uh, first importance? Uh, we know it is, it is vital to, to think about um, things that are to come. Um, and Lord, let us let us hold these things with appropriate weight and appropriate value. We pray we'd have wisdom that comes uh, from above. We thank you for this opportunity and pray all of this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we want to talk about eschatology. This, this stems from uh, we are in the middle of a series called Clash of the Kingdoms, and Trevor just recently preached on Matthew 24, and he gave us kind of three highlights. It's a, it's a long passage, but it, it hits um, a, a few different topics. And so his, his three summary points from Matthew 24 was this passage is not about the end times. It was not about the end times. It was uh, more emphasizing 70 uh, AD and um, the, the destruction of the temple. But then second, uh, it was this passage helps us to think about the end times. So the passage maybe isn't primarily about the end times, but it does help us think about the end times. And then his third and final point was this passage calls us to live holy, hopeful, and urgent lives in light of Jesus's return. So we're thinking about these clashing of the kingdoms. We're thinking about eschatology. Bryce, can you help me define our term? What what is eschatology? Yeah, so so pretty literally, eschatology just means the study of last things. Um, so it's the the study of the final things that are to come. As we study the clash of the kingdoms, the uh, obvious assumption is that two kingdoms headed towards one another on a collision course eventually collide. Mm. The clash has to come to a head, mm-hmm. and when it does, it comes to the head at the final moment at the at the end of all things and Mm. so eschatology is just studying all of the events and and principles and and theology that surrounds that moment when those kingdoms ultimately clash at the at the end that's good so we we're seeing the kingdoms clash back in jesus's day right now but there's going to be an ultimate clash and that's that's what we're trying to think about so Bryce, help me think about, are, are there some general principles to keep in mind? What, what, what pitfalls come with eschatology? What things should we know? What principles should we have when we think about things, the last things? Yeah, so, well, so one, one thing that just makes it harder is that we're talking about things that haven't yet happened. Um, so whereas when we're reading passages, passages of scripture that have to do with the past or aided by other tools like archaeology, um, we're aided by being able to even look back at the historical record, the extra biblical historical record. Uh, we don't necessarily have those things to look at when we're talking about eschatology. Um, so that just makes things harder. Uh, the other thing that makes it harder is the, the genre of apocalyptic literature, which is where you find a lot of our, uh, writings about eschatology is symbolic in, in nature, um, contains a lot of imagery. Um, I was actually really helped by, um, 
by a commentary called Triumph of the Lamb. It's a commentary on Revelation by Dennis Johnson. And he says, kind of in the intro to, the, to his book, he says, the symbolic nature of the apocalyptic prophetic genre is susceptible to subjective flights of imagination. So as we try to interpret this genre, it's just more susceptible than others of our imagination kind of running wild and getting the best of us. Um, so just a couple principles to keep in mind. He actually lists out six that I have found really helpful. Uh, the first of those is that it's given to reveal, um, the passages in the, in scripture that talk about the end times, their goal is to reveal things to us, not, not primarily to hide and conceal and obscure, but to make things known. So we should approach them thankfully and, and confidently, not, not thinking that they're, they're hard and confusing. Uh, the second is that these things are to be seen, not just heard. So all through the book of Revelation, it talks about that John was, was given a vision, and he's writing down what he saw. He sees things that he has doesn't have the words to describe. He's at the cusp of human language. He's trying to describe it, and so everything is going to be very visceral, lots, lots of imagery, because he's describing what he saw. Um, he also says that it's you just can't understand it without the backdrop of the Old Testament. Nothing makes sense not in light of the Old Testament. Um, the, it's given for the church under attack. It's given. It's written to the persecuted church to encourage the church that is being persecuted and and is under attack. Um, and and he the the fifth principle he says these are these describe things that must soon take place. That's the, the language of Revelation, that these things must soon take place. Um, it's hard to ascertain the exact timeline and how these things sequentially fall in order. Um, but one thing we do know is that, that as God gives this vision to John, and as John writes to the early church, that it meant something to them, that it was for them, that the events were, were soon to take place in some way or some form, even if they play out for a long time. Um, there is, it's not the, the, there is immediate application for, for right then, and so also for us right now. Um, and then lastly, and this is probably kind of the biggest principle of all of them, is that the main point is that victory belongs to God and to his Christ. And if we walk away from a study of eschatology with anything other than victory belongs to God and to his Christ, then we've, we've missed the point of the last things. Mm, that's really, those are all really, really helpful. So if we think about that eschatology is, is given to reveal it's for the church under attack and then really maybe ultimately and finally it's it's given to encourage the church to give us a, a picture of, of what is to come. How would you say eschatology is encouraging? Yeah, so I um I actually just I took a class on Revelation when I was in college and I don't know that I'd ever done any like deep dive study into Revelation other than reading the left behind books when I was growing up. Um and kind of reading through those, it was like, man, this is frightening. It maybe kind of moves you to action by the kind of things that you want to avoid uh, happening to you if you don't, you know, act the right way. Um, but that feels like it falls short of what, what Revelation is actually meant to convey. Um, and in kind of studying it as a book, 
uh, just found my heart stirred in ways that it hadn't been before, was really encouraged by the picture of, of the last things playing out. Uh, so even just thinking of Revelation as a book, like let's for a minute set aside what are the trumpets and the bowls and the seals and how exactly do they all play out and what's, um, you know, when does the tribulation come and what is the millennium? Those are all questions that that can take a lot of study and, and are good questions worth asking. Um, but kind of setting that aside, zooming out and just looking at the macro story of what Revelation lays out for us. This is what you see. You see kind of chapters one through three, Jesus is alive and he's over his church. Uh, he and, and he comes to his church personally with a message, an individual message to, to each of his churches, a message to be watchful and, and to be warned, um, to come and say, he who hears these words, listen, uh, he, heed these things. Um, it, the story progresses, chapter four, we see that the one who sits on the throne is, is glorious and is untouchable. His throne is surrounded by a sea of glass. No one comes close to him. Nothing can compare to him. No one dare approach the throne. Except for chapter five, the lamb who stands as if slain walks boldly right up to the throne. Jesus is worthy. When, when all seemed lost at the last moment, at the 11th hour, Jesus is resurrected and found worthy to to enact the last things. And then we see that play out through chapters 6 through 11. The end is enacted. Turmoil ensues. Uh, But even in that, we see that multitudes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Martyrs perish, but martyrs are also resurrected. And we get to one of my favorite parts in the whole book in chapter 12. It says that there is a woman about to give birth to a child, and there's a dragon that waits to devour the child, but but God delivers the woman. He hides the woman in the wilderness. The child escapes the, the dragon's mouth um, because the Lord hides them in the wilderness uh, with, until he's ready to call out his son. Uh, the armies of the Lord wage war against the dragon. He's defeated and thrown down. And then it says the dragon's mad that he didn't get the woman and the child that he wanted to devour. And so he wages war on all of her offspring. He's been defeated and now in his death throes, he's lashing out, waging war against the offspring of the earth. And then we see through the next few chapters, 13 through 17, the dragon raises others to join him in that rebellion. There's great powers of the earth's kingdom that rise up alongside the dragon to oppose the Lord and his anointed. Um, This is kind of like the uh the boss level when you when you get to kind of the end of the video game and you get to the level where you have to to face the boss before final victory comes that's here the the dragon has raised an army of of really bad dudes uh but then chapter 18 babylon falls evil is destroyed babylon falls the the kind of tower of evil comes toppling down. And then chapters 19 through 21, heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices at the fall of evil, that Satan is bound, that creation is made new. And we get to chapter 22 and we find that life is found in God and in, and in the lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the time, that this time of life in God and Christ is drawing near. Um, so I guess like zooming out, reading through that as a story it's like, how could that not be encouraging? How could our hearts not be stirred by this picture of 
the kingdoms coming to a head and the Lord not only being triumphant, but um, kind of bringing his people faithfully through that into, into the culmination of all things. Yeah, that's really, really, really helpful. That's a helpful zoom out of, of thinking about Revelation and just seeing that ultimately um, apocalyptic language is, is good news, that this imagery is to, to stir the heart, um, that it is, a, it is a certain genre that may not um, satisfy all uh, details and exactly everything that you would want, um, maybe, but it is, it is a beautiful story. There's analogy. It's meant to bring hope. Um, and yeah, I love your way, the way you just summarized that. I'm going to go read Revelation later. Um, Which it, it feels like, it feels like you kind of rob the book, the book, you rob the genre of its power when you do get lost in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Josh really helpfully mentioned this past week when he was teaching through parables, um, how, what is unhelpful to do with parables. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, um, one of the things that we can do is get lost in the background details of the parable, kind of make too much of the background details and miss the main point. And I feel like we can do the same thing with eschatology. We can do the same thing with the apocalyptic <clears throat> genre by missing the beautiful picture that's being painted by all these symbols, by getting caught up in trying to figure out exactly when and exactly how they're going to happen and, and figure out what, you know, what means what. Um, what represents what, and and breaking out our charts and graphs and missing the beauty of the story. Mm. Mm. And I think maybe that's a helpful in our in our camp, especially like we we love expositional preaching and teaching. I, I love it. We want to walk slow. We want to get all the details. We want to look at the language. We want to see where the same words used in other places. But maybe where it is a helpful point of reading scripture to read fast sometimes read read a little bit grander um and and even sit down and read revelation in one sitting um and just kind of get get the beauty of the story um not to the neglect of the details but um really to to further the beauty of of the whole story yeah that's really helpful what would you say is just our um what is our application um, how should we respond? What what do we take away? What is helpful for the church when we think about eschatology? We think about the study of last things. How should we respond? Yeah, so I think um, there's probably there's two things that I would that I would say. The first is be hopeful. I think we said kind of the main the main point of apocalyptic literature within scripture is that the Lord wins, that God wins, that Jesus is triumphant and victorious, that, um, so, so we can be hopeful and, and maybe along with that, like not only hopeful, but also comforted, like even in the struggles of the present age, even when the, the pain of death and sin and the effects of the fall seem great to know that evil's days are numbered to know that that's not how the story ends. Uh, so there's a, there's a hopefulness and there's a, there's a comfort that comes from studying the last things. It's, me- it's meant to encourage us. It's meant as a, as a balm, as a salve for the, for the persecuted church, for those who are under attack. Uh, but I think also, and again, in line with the sermon from this past week, is to be watchful, 
to be wary. Uh, thinking back to, you know, Jesus' address to the, to the churches in the beginning of, of Revelation, there's a lot of them have fallen asleep, um, have grown nonchalant, and have forgotten their first love, and have, um, yeah, have really, f- like, fallen down on the job. Uh, and so there's a, like, one of our other responsibilities is, is to be watchful, to, to live as those who have our wits about us, mm-hmm. who are vigilant, who are waiting for Christ's return, uh, and not just waiting passively, but actively anticipating Christ's return and, and living in light of that now. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's really good. We, um, yeah, this past week, Josh, one of our elders, uh, preached on um, Matthew 25, 1 through 30, um, and it was just really helpful even in thinking about um, verse 12. Uh, tr- he answered, this is, This would be uh, essentially Jesus, Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Um, a passage that, that we are to be watchful, we're to be attentive, um, not knowing the day or the hour. There's there's numerous other passages throughout the throughout the scriptures that that point to the the day of the Lord coming um, in the future and the even in the near future. Revelation is going to say at the beginning some of these things are must take place must soon take place. Bryce, do any other passages of scripture kind of jump out to you um, as a whole? Yeah, I was just even thinking through the way Revelation ends in chapter twenty two, um, starting in verse six. Um, it says, he said to me, the wor- these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits and the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy and of this book. Um, so just that idea of I mean, the, the whole story of scripture kind of closes with the words of the Lord are trustworthy and true. He's, he is faithful and true. Um, and the time's drawing near. Mm. So, so keep these words and, and be vigilant yeah. essentially is, is kind of how it closes. That's good. And I think it's a, it's an encouragement for us, um, to push into making most of the days, the days are brief, whether we get to live out all of our years, um, before Jesus's return or Jesus returns either way, the days are brief. Um, let us make the most of them. Let us search the scriptures. Let us be on mission. Let us talk about Jesus. Let us disciple our families. Um, yeah. Any other major takeaways that you would would have us close with? And I would say, and disciple our own hearts. Like Mm. why get, why get lost in distraction when the, when the time's drawing near, if the day of the Lord is actually drawing near, uh, then the time that I spend, uh, kind of frittering that away on inconsequential distractions is needs to be significantly decreased. Mm. And I would and I would also just say um, we have to anticipate growing hostilities. Like we should anticipate the world growing hostile uh, because the because we know that the clash of the kingdoms of the world are coming to a head. So it's right and good for us to anticipate things going downhill. Um, not in a doom and gloom, the end is coming, woe is us kind of way, but we should be on guard and we should be watchful knowing that the kingdoms of the world oppose the Lord and his anointed and that that only heats up as the day draws near. 
But at the same time, to know that we're not alone, to know that if the last things are ushered in by Jesus's first coming and last until Jesus's second coming. So the way scripture seems to talk about the end times, the last things, is that it's everything that happens between the first time Jesus came and the second time Jesus came. So the church has been living in the last days since the church existed, since the inception of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, like we also don't look forward to, or we don't look ahead, see the growing hostility of the kingdoms of the world and lose heart because we look back and see that the church has persevered and endured through the last days for the last couple thousand of years. And so we look back on the historic church and we're encouraged and we take heart. So there's a way to both see kind of mounting hostilities and expect the kingdoms of the world to grow more hardened and more hostile. And at the same time, to not think that we are a historic anomaly and that no one's had it as bad as us and to look look back on our those who have come before us and take heart that the Lord brought them faithfully through hostility as well. Mm. Yeah, there's there's nothing new under the sun and yet um, hostility very much exists. And um, that's good. Well, Bryce, um, Jonathan and I were talking previously, uh, your last days are here in the present um hopefully we're counting down into the last couple of months of you being around but we know you've uh, invested deeply even on um on a number of podcasts in recent days we figured we'd maximize your use in these last days um before we have to start using other people more so thank you for being on here with me at first i wasn't sure if you were predicting my death or um if this was just a mention of me <laughs> moving to halifax yeah but it's it's just a mention of you moving to halifax perfect well so, maybe i can maybe we can do a podcast via zoom call down the road perfect. and i'll be able to ride again on can, all of the above continue to continue to invest we appreciate that so thank you guys for listening and look forward to uh, talking with you again soon